0: Log Talk Radio. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what
1: day it is. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is.
0: Anybody? Anybody?
1: Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? woo <laughs> Listen. Guess what today is. Listen. Guess what today is. It's hump day. Hump day. <laughs> Welcome, ladies
2: and gentlemen, to the the Donaldson Files. This is Tom Donaldson. I have on my my guest, Jennifer Cabrera, who's one of the sharp minds when it comes to knowing the coronavirus. She works for the Rational Ground Group. I'll we'll, uh, bring her up uh, in a few minutes here. I want to kind of, uh, and we're going to talk about this, uh, kind of talk about a couple, um, a quick thing here. Everest, I've been one of these guys who was a skeptic probably beginning in May of 2020. In April, and I started, and part of it was I was looking at data that was coming out of California by, you know, you know some, you know, Stanford uh, scientists. Who are you know, well-known uh, individuals, and they basically were finding the number of cases. I mean, the way they put it was the number of mild and asympt- a something far exceeded than what we previously thought, in that the infection fatality rate at that time was 0. 0.2, as opposed to let's say what at you know what a month earlier you know. You know Anthony Fauci was basically saying, well, we're going to have a million plus, two million plus death by the end of the summer, 1% will, you know, all kinds of, you know, numbers out there. And they were the first group that basically said, you know what, let's kind of slow this thing down. And and they were and, – and, and so basically these are numbers that for the most part have held up. The other point that they made, and this is, is that this was a you know, virus that really struck the elderly Far greater than younger population. I think the the numbers uh, that they have is a thousand times better, worse. And, and the thing in May, I remember basically saying, in effect, that the lockdown and the economic restrictions will be far worse than dealing with than the virus itself. And more people will be hurt, communities destroyed, more people end up dying either prematurely or presently down the road. And again, those are numbers that are coming up. And the interesting aspect, and I'm going to, is I see a sea shift in what people are now believing about the virus. And I suspect part of this is that the Biden administration has found themselves into a trap. Namely, for the past 18 months, they promoted a panic porn situation where everybody, you know, trying to get everybody all geared up and scared to death of the coronavirus. That all but suddenly, you know, we have Omicron, which, you know, again, we'll talk more about that. Is just basically, we're seeing high numbers of cases every day, and now Joe Biden is responsible. You know, it's his administration. He can't blame everything on Donald Trump anymore. You uh, can even make the argument that more people have died from the coronavirus according to their data than died under Trump. And I think uh, that it's that point where, how do you declare victory, and move on, and move on to other issues, when this thing is so overly present, and you were one of the reasons why it is. And I'm going to begin. And Jennifer, I'm going to ask you, do you see a sea? Sh- are you seeing a sea shift in what people are saying or not saying? That let's say what let's just say you're seeing a sea shift. People who let's say three or four months ago were viewing you as a denialist are now basically coming to your side of thinking.
3: Well, they would never admit they're coming to my side, right? But the the two biggest ones I've seen in the past week are the suddenly everybody acknowledges that cloth masks don't work. Now they say it's because they don't work against Omicron, but the fact is viruses are the same size. Omicron's the same size virus as Delta, as alpha as the original version they're all the same and it's so cloth mess. if they don't work now they never worked which I have been saying since uh, you know April 2020 um, my husband Len and our publication lateral Chronicle wrote a, wrote a, a summary of the evidence in April 2020 that said these things they, they don't work we, we've known forever that they don't work so that's one of course, what they're doing is going even crazier and now saying everybody should be wearing N95. Um, and we can talk about that separately. But uh, the second thing is the acknowledgement of uh, with versus from in terms of hospitalization. And we've got Ian Fauci saying this now that, um, you know, there's, there's people in the hospital that are COVID hospitalizations, but they're not. Um, you know, they, they just it's, it's an incidental positive test when they're in the hospital for something else. This is a definition I've been calling out um, since early fall 2020, at least. And it's, it's <laughs> always been the official, you know, it goes back to April 2020 when uh, Debbie Burks said, basically said, yes, You know, they, they, this all comes out of reporters screaming at Trump thinking he's trying to minimize this. And the reporters are like, we're not counting all the deaths, we're missing deaths. And so he just turned to Burks and Fauci and he's like, well, you know, what do we need to do to stop reporters from yelling? I mean, I'm obviously making up the conversation here, but the result was Burks coming out and saying, we're just gonna count everything for now. And uh, you know, we'll sort it out later. And of course it hasn't been sorted out. We're still counting everything. If you have a positive test in the hospital, you're a COVID hospitalization, regardless of what you're actually there for, and now now you see states like even New York, but one of the first, like they're ahead of Florida now. New York now is asking hospitals. To report the primary diagnosis of somebody who's hospitalized as a COVID patient, and so it, it's all—it's all being not all the things that I said are, are kind of gradually being just acknowledged as if they were always true, which of course they were, except that we were always told that the opposite was true.
2: Yeah. Well, this is yeah you know, because here's the thing yeah you know, we're going to am I going to ask you uh, and we're going to get into discussion of how you look at let's say uh, the coronavirus pandemic or epidemic or however you want to describe it going into 2022, and I, 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 you know, here's a, you know, a good example of a follow-up on the mask deal is that um, the Atlantic Magazine, which is again it's a hardcore left-center left-wing magazine, and and they have a piece. Downside of masking young students are for real. Uh, Vinny Prasad, uh, you know, wrote the piece. And he starts off, well scientists have an obligation to strive for honesty, which I heard. And then he asks the potential educational harms of mandatory masking policies are more firmly established at this point than their positive benefit of the coronavirus in school. I mean this is that's how he starts the article. And it goes and it goes back to the point you've just made. You know, you've been saying this. You know many of us have been saying this. you know we had the you know the Danish study that was done last summer that kind of highlighted this and it, it's almost like uh I think don't these people owe you an apology
3: <laughs> <laughs> i I'm not expecting that to be forthcoming, but you're absolutely right that they have been wrong all along. they have completely neglected any risks. They have overblown the benefits. Uh, it's, so it's amazing just for the Atlantic to give Vinay Prasad a piece. That's that's a huge improvement because it's yeah. people like Vinay who are going to get this out of it. People who get us out of this. People, um, people like him who have not necessarily been skeptics all along, but are kind of more part of the establishment. We're kind of like throwing up warning flags all along, but not really fully skeptical the way I was and have been and continue to be. Um, so so Vinny is kind of in that middle. There's, there's a number of people there, um, Tracy Hogue, for example, who have come along slowly, but they're finally there and they're finally uh, being listened to to some extent. So it's amazing for Atlantic to run that and I'm glad they did. Uh, masks on children were never made any sense whatsoever. The, the risks were easy to to project. They, it, obviously, children need to see faces, they need to read lips to understand teachers. Uh, they're, they, they're, they don't ha- handle masks appropriately, they're dirty. We did, uh, you know, the, 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 I'm not gonna no. call it a study, but we did submit some masks here to a lab and we found all kinds of, of pathogenic bacteria on them. After one day, starting clean at the beginning of the day. And, you know, through all the time that that people like me have said, here's all the things that are are bad for children about masks. And the response was always, it's better than dying. And that's what people told us over and over. And on the flip side, we would get, so here in Beanful, we have an academic um academic medical center connected with the university of florida and the doctors from that hospital would go to our school board meetings and they would just go on about you know babies dying and one guy had this whole long thing about how he'd held a baby who was dying in africa or something and how horrible it is for babies to die and i don't know how that was related to covid but the whole reason was to you know bring up this emotional reaction that we have to protect our children at all costs from dying and masks are how you did. That was his whole thing. We must mask our children to protect them from dying. Other doctors said, oh, you know, long COVID um, was, what's the, MISC, the, the inflammatory yeah. syndrome that, that children get, and they were, you know, children get these things, it's terrible, we can't, even if the death rate is low, then, the, you know, once, once they weren't able to argue that children were dying, because it was obvious they weren't, then they switched to the MISC, and then they switched to long COVID, and then it was always, you know, the possibilities, if they got COVID, were just too horrible to imagine, so we must mask them without even looking at the harms of masking. It was
2: always yeah. hold, yeah. 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 hold on, yeah, yeah, Hold on, this is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files with Jennifer Cabrera, here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
4: A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? 1 in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? 1 in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? 1 in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
0: Napa know-how. A Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm. Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how.
2: Napa know-how. Now, this segment will be brought to you by the upcoming new book, America in the Abyss, Will America Survive? by yours truly Tom Donaldson is going to be published by Liberty Hill Press and will be available on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble and other fine sites. So I will give you more details how you can obtain this great new classic America at the Abyss here on the Bachelor News radio network coming shortly to a bookstore near you. All right. Okay, now back to uh to uh jennifer and and by the way jennifer is associated with the ration, uh, with uh, the group group rational ground they have a website rationalground.com but i also know that you do you guys now have a sub stack as well that be, yeah uh, that, justin you know,
3: justin writes a, sub, uh, a Substack a sub stack for under rational ground and sends out pretty regular articles it's pretty it's great stuff he summarizes kind of it's kind of a summary of our kind of ongoing conversation at Rational Ground and all the all the data we're looking at and all the, the conversations we're having. And he writes it up and sends it out. It's very useful.
2: Yeah. All right. Yeah, like I said, it, it, so again, sub, so it's on Substack.com. And, and it is, per, you know, it is, you do have to have a subscription to get it, to get the data. And I understand it's what, but it, how much does that cost a month?
3: I think it's seventy a year for the full thing, but there is a free version. And um, let me see. I'm not in the middle yeah. of this, so look it up. So it's okay. the COVID reason, COVID reason Substack, and there is a definitely a free version, and you can um, become a paid subscriber for so seventy dollars a year, annual 77 seven dollars a month. Um, and then, or if you want to, uh, more provide more support to rational ground, you can do $210 a year as a founding member, but there is a free option. So you can, uh, can check it out. Okay. Okay. Substack.com.
2: Yeah. You know, check it out. And all right. Okay. Now, like I said, we've been talking about the, let's say this, you know, we, you know, we talk about the mass side of the equation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do have to bring this up because I just find it hilarious. First of all, last week you have Alexandra Cortez, who uh, I guess didn't, didn't, obviously did not read uh, the the governor your governor's uh, itinerary, which is uh, available, or the fact that you know, he also is a, um, you know his uh, his uh, wife is undergoing breast cancer chemotherapy and transporting her to that, and so on and so on and so on, and, and yet here she is partying in Florida without a mask and uh and am and i used to part because there, i cannot think of the the singer she uh, met up with but she met up with a singer and they all hugged each other and excellent on, excellent on, excellent on, on. so she had a wonderful time in florida and and she did go maskless and today i read eric solwell who's also been a critic of uh ron desantis and other republican states and how they responded the California congressman, guess what? I mean, he is now in Florida having a good time. So, uh, is this kind of a ver- is this kind of a validation of what you know you guys have done and the policies you've instituted that these people, these fine people, have decided to visit your state and have fun?
3: Of course it is. I mean, I mean Florida is bursting at the seams these days, and and I understand Miami is just crazy because uh, that's where a lot of people go to vacation and it, of course because they want to be even when they think that benefit from all the restrictive vaccine passports and all of that they everybody vacations are certainly more enjoyable when you're not worrying about having can you are you going to be able to get into this restaurant or who's going to hassle you about not wearing a mask and people talk about she was masked. she's outdoors who cares Um, who cares anyway, but you know, there's, there's no mask mandates in Florida. Um, although I I guess we all know Democrats tend to ostentatiously wear them everywhere, even outdoors. And so it was kind of funny that she wasn't, but she was also drinking, you know, so all all the excuses, you don't, you're not, you're not contagious. If you have a a cup in front of you, of course, we all know, we all know the, the, the the vaccine, the the virus rules. but yeah, of course people come to Florida. There's, there's a reason people are moving here in droves. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it, it's a great place to live.
2: Well, let's, let's step up because here's the interesting aspect that comes into play. This uh, Because I, like I say, you know, I, you know, again, I'm like, I run a political organization, America's Pact, but I also am a project director for a foundation. And we've done like three major studies. I just finished the fourth one. And every so often I... You know, you know, we keep a running tab every two to three weeks where we look at the economic data, you know, the, the latest, you know, per capita data, and so on, and so on, and so on. And it's an amazing – what I find fascinating is that there you there are certain statistics that just, you know, when you start looking at these numbers, you, you kind of figure out, well, maybe, you know, you know, maybe people are voting with their feet or making their own decisions of where they want to live or not live. But here's the thing. You know, I you look at schooling. You know, you look at the top 25 schools, just you know, the states. You know, the top 25, the the top half. 84% of those states have Republican governors. When you look at highest participation rates of actual in learn in class learning, then you have, you know, again the numbers we keep coming up with every week, the unemployment numbers which I share with you. Where you've you literally have seen over a period of 18 months a 30 percent consistent data in which Republican states have less unemployment, and and what this really means to me is there are millions of people underemployed or not employed in many of these states that have had economic restrictions. And then this is the last one you've just made the point, and I want and I want you to follow up on it because you look at the states there are 30 states in which they had net migration where people are moving into those states. Uh two out of every three of those states have Republican governors. And and if you look at the two states that had the biggest out migration, New York and California, we're talking seven hundred and twenty thousand people have left those states. Now when you put all that together, you know that kind of tells me a story. And maybe you brought the point of, you know, people are moving to Florida. Kind of follow up on that concept because it's not just the concept of moving, but you have in-class learning, so kids are actually going into the classroom itself and how that plays into everything.
3: Sure, and I'll bet New York is, is, you know, quietly – Relieved that this happened right after this 2020 census was taken, because I I think New York and Florida, at, when we came into COVID, were very very nearly the same size, and I suspect there's more than a two million person difference now. than but New York's now locked in its congressional representatives for the next ten years at its you know at its higher population than it than it actually has probably. The school closing thing is really interesting, and and uh, Justin Substack this morning. Um, covered that and he pulled a bunch of data from Burdio on school disruptions and the Northeast, it's, it's crazy how many schools are closed in the Northeast right now and certainly that's a, a factor for people who are, are looking for stability for their families knowing that Florida schools are not going to close. Now, <laughs> with that said, I think they are struggling this week. I'm kind of laughing at them because of course they're even though uh, they can't close preemptively, they, the staff at least, are subject to all the silly isolation and quarantine rules that if you get a positive test, even if you're having a very, very mild cold, um, you can't come to work for five days or 10 days or you know whatever it is, depending on your vaccination status or whatever the rules are, they're changing from day to day. But because of that, they're having trouble staffing the buses, they're having trouble, trouble staffing the classrooms. And um, and I'm kind of it's it's their own fault it's their own policies it's not because people are sick they even say flat out it's because of positive tests and so at some point you know even in states like Florida they're gonna have to say you know what we need to go back to the policies that we've had forever and you know, I know that anybody who's had a job knows this if you're if you're well enough to go to work you go to work you only stay home if you're literally too sick. To do your job and we, we need to go back to that or or, or and omicron is just showing that it, it, it's it's just amazing because the the very high numbers of cases are, are throwing all of this into into stark um you know yeah. stark relief that we yeah. can't society can't function with these rules
2: well let me let me throw that out because omicron and again i know yeah, we talk about this with Florida seasonality. Okay, right now, okay, I'm looking at the CDC tracker. Florida has got listed 1,800 per 100,000 cases in the last seven days. You've seen a big jump. Uh, but then I look at the deaths, and I haven't seen any real substantial increase overall over the last, let's say, week in deaths.
3: In Florida. There, there hasn't been any, um, and in fact, even yeah. though, you know, death backfill, um, you know, the, there was a um, tiny, tiny uptick, and I'm talking, by tiny, I'm talking about from 17 to 25 a day in the entire state, um, and that was at the end of November, and since then, it's all sloping down. Now, you expect it to slope down, but you also expect that, you know, two or three weeks ago, if it was, if there was a real increase, you would be seeing it now, you know, Omicron really just hit Florida. And, you know, so we may not be reporting the deaths yet. And understand that under the definitions, there will be COVID deaths because anybody, if you test positive with Omicron and you're in a hospital for a heart attack and you die, you're a COVID death. So, yes, we're going to get deaths. And the deaths are yeah. proportional to the number of cases. So they, we're going to have deaths. I, 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 and no, I think that yeah. the people who are saying we won't are are kind of not understanding yeah. the situation.
2: Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing because I'm looking at some of these numbers. Okay, like New York. New York is – yeah, let's say, you know, again, they have about three thousand cases per hundred thousand, you know, reported, but they only have about three hundred and eighty deaths over a period of seven days. And when I and to me, when I look at last year where you had a significantly higher death total, you know, this doesn't seem to be, you know, it, it just seems is this, you know, is this a combination of okay, we have vaccination, we have natural immunity and over crime may not be the lethal virus that it was because it just seems. You know, in these cases I'm looking at these numbers and I'm thinking to myself you know this you know this is not as bad as what we were looking at last year I'm gonna have I'll have you answer that question when we come back here on the bachelor news radio network this is Tom Johnson with Jennifer Cabrera
5: you might know me I'm 50 cent you may follow my tweets my Facebook friends odds are fewer than six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.
2: This is Tom Donaldson once again here at the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget, this segment is brought to you by the new upcoming book, America at the Abyss Will America Survive? by uh, yours truly, Tom Donaldson. It's going to be published through Liberty Hill Press and it will be available on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com and other fine sites. I will give you more details how you can pre order this book. and. The first chapter is a very interesting chapter because we talk about the leadership class, in particular the scientific class, which I look at how they performed uh, in this uh, pandemic and, and 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 discussed the fact that you are seeing a weak. You know, let's just put it this way: the as you're going to see in my book, I do detail how this, you know, how much of the scientific class has failed the American people and. What it means when our institutions, like the science, like our scientific class, fail. Uh, more details again. America at the Abyss, Liberty Hill Press. Uh, dot com. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's go back to, to the thing we're talking about. Again, we got. Again, you can have all kinds of theory. It just doesn't seem that the numbers of deaths or a hospitalization because of COVID seems to be as high as it was last winter. Is that my imagination? Or are those data, is there enough data to back that up?
3: I don't know if we know yet. Um, I do know that Omicron is kind of rescuing everybody because Florida had, as we all know, the massive Delta wave in the summer during our, our seasonal period where we always get big summer waves. And it happened to be coincide with Delta and it was very bad and a lot of people died. and But we have a lot of existing immunity to Delta in Florida. and I, I, It looks like the big surges we're seeing are mainly Omicron and that they haven't turned into a lot of deaths, at least yet. I think in the Northeast, we're still seeing a, a fair mix of Delta and Omicron. It's not as predominantly Omicron as Florida is. And so I think If they are seeing higher deaths, it's probably due to to Delta still still hanging out up there, and and so until but but they're being rescued because Omicron's moving in fast, and the the winter wave that they would have seen, which would have corresponded to Florida's Delta wave, um, I think they're going to avoid.
2: Well, I, I said because it just seems like you know the. Yeah, because I'm again I'm kind of looking at these numbers and yeah uh, you know, I find myself in a you know quandary. Well, you know you know the worst seems again you know you can knock in the woods, but at this point you know, the worst appears to have basically gone by us. And maybe we're on the downside, the endemic side of the equation. But again, when, you know, we'll know more about that later, but. Uh, still, you know it's, you know it's still there. Now let me throw this question back this way because the, uh, there's another point I want to make. Uh, even Tony Fauci finally admitted this, where a lot of patients going into the hospital basically are going in for something else. And and I know now that there are lots. I know North Dakota and Iowa most recently are now reporting. Uh, you know, those statistics, you know, adding that to the mix, as opposed to saying, well, they're all coming in COVID, they're gonna say, well, they're all coming in the primary cause will be a heart attack, as you stated, and they just happen to have COVID. And and I guess and so the question I'm gonna throw this back to you in this way. If we can make the assumption that many of these hospitalizations are not necessarily due to COVID but are with COVID, could we make the same argument over the and I know you've done the death certificates. Could you make the same argument with deaths? You know, how many people truly have died because of COVID versus the underlying condition, which 90, 95% of the people who die, you know, with or from COVID do in fact have underlying conditions. Your thoughts.
3: So there's no question about the, the definitional problems that we have and we've had them all along. And so when they're admitting that not everybody in the hospital is sick with COVID, but just has a positive test in addition to their primary reason for being at the hospital, when they're acknowledging that, it follows that COVID that all along, we've been counting all these people as COVID hospitalizations used to, you know, media reports and headlines, but also that when these people die, they are counted as COVID deaths. And so, What people don't understand is that it's not, and people like to argue with me and say, no, the doctors know that they died of a heart attack. They're not saying it's a COVID death, but the doctor doesn't have to. It's bureaucrats that determine what's a COVID death, and it has to do with medical coding and all the things that they list. And if a doctor lists, you know, way down on a death, if they say this person died of a heart attack or a stroke or whatever, and then they say they recovered from COVID six months ago, and that's on the death certificate, that's a COVID death. It's not the doctor saying that they died of COVID, but by putting it anywhere on the death certificate or anywhere in the medical record, it becomes a COVID death. That's what the bureaucrats do. So yes, COVID deaths have been way overcounted. It's not 99%, though. Just saying that people have underlying conditions is saying that we know that diabetics, people with high blood pressure, obese, all of these things, we know that these people are more susceptible to dying from COVID even if even you know, so so if their their diabetes didn't kill them, the high blood pressure didn't kill them, the obesity didn't kill them, but all of those conditions set up a condition under which COVID is more deadly and those people then die. So it's not that ninety nine percent of people didn't die of COVID. It's it, but it's honestly it's probably yeah. like forty percent or so of COVID deaths were not primarily COVID, yeah. but we don't, we won't know for years. Eventually somebody's going to go through all this and, and sort it out, but, but nobody's going to do it in the middle of COVID apparently. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a, because
2: it's also be interesting because, you know, my, you know, which kind of brings me back to, you know, when we're going to 2022, you know, what we're seeing, you know, this, you know, kind of shift away from what I call the panic porn where you've got, let's say the Atlantic magazine, because, I mean, you have an administration that's got some serious economic issues that they're dealing with. You have you know, foreign policy issues to deal with. And then the coronavirus. And certainly now it's Joe Biden's problem. At this point, it's not Donald Trump's problem. It's Joe Biden's problem. And the polls are showing definitely people are now frustrated with, with this handling. And so I'm just kind of... In fact, the biggest surprise for me—I I won't say I was not surprised—because I think they wanted to use this COVID to pass their political agenda, their economic agenda. But, the, but there's always this part of me that was said, you know, if I was president in February of 2021, I would declare victory over co- the coronavirus and say, okay, from this point forward, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to move on, live with the virus, and. And, and I'm going to encourage my fellow Democrats to open up their economy as much as possible so we can get an economic, you know, and I'm always kind of wondering why they didn't do that. Well, you know, actually, I, I don't wonder anymore because I think they want to pass their political agenda. But now they're, you know, it's like the tar baby. You push this panic porn for so long. Now you got to figure out how to get it, how to get it off you. And, you know, have you ever been surprised exactly. by that kind of stuff? Yeah, go ahead.
3: Well, I thought I thought for sure they would declare victory when the winter wave subsided last, you know, March end of February, March. Everything was subsiding. We had beans. Vaccines were rolling out. Like, what a perfect time to declare victory! Stop all the insane testing of asymptomatic people. Stop, stop all the insanity and just say, you know what? This is a medical problem. We're going to let the doctors handle it. Let's move on. I, Fully expected that. It was a perfect opportunity to declare victory. I was amazed that they didn't. I'm still amazed that they continue to, to just double down on the insanity. And as you said, they're getting, now that they're trying to extricate themselves, they're getting a lot of pushback. So when they, um, this week, maybe last well, whenever they change the isolation period to five days, and you know, even said that, that people can go back symptomatic after five days as long as they're improving and they don't have a fever. And I mean, their own media just went nuts. They're like, how could you do that? That's insane, that's dangerous. They can't, they can't pull the media back. The media is so addicted to the fear narrative and to the views they get from the, the crazy you know, headlines that they, they can't, they, it's a, they've lost control.
2: No, well, I guess I mean, like I say, you've been tired by the very thing that you promoted for about a year and a half, and it's not easy to turn it off. as they're finding out. I remember when Atlantic magazine, again, and I'm shocked at Atlantic magazine and some of the articles I've seen. There was a what was it three weeks ago where they had a guy from Texas sit back and say, "You know what? I live in Texas, and where well, I'm worried about this." <laughs> Yeah, we live with it, and that's yep. and that you know and yeah, you know, and I thought it, and they got a lot of pushback from their readers. know, how could you publish such a piece? But I think there's a point somewhere where you have to sit back and you know say, you know what, you know bite the bullet because you know the one thing that you know Joe Biden has always had the advantage of is that the media, for the most part, is on his side. They want to be on his side, and it's you know there's a point you know you know send the signals. And said, okay, guys, you know, it's time for us to kind of shift gears here. (laughs) So can you help me out? Much in the same way that for like, you know, I I remember when they were looking at when Joe Biden brought in a group of these people and said, hey, guys, you got to quit reporting the negative stuff about inflation and all that. You know, talk about only the positive (laughs) stuff, which lasted lasted 48 hours until – the and, of course, unfortunately for Joe Biden, this lasted 48 hours, until the next inflation report happened to show up. And that into that. But you figure, from, you know, if they could do that for 48 hours, you figure with this, you know, somewhere along the line, they could at least get these people to move forward on this. I'm just, which brings it to 2023. Do you think, I think down the road, they're going, eventually the media is going to start playing ball on this issue. Just to rescue Joe Biden. That's going to be my theory. What's your theories on that? Do you think it's a possibility?
3: I've been wrong with every prediction I've ever made, you know, in terms of looking forward, in terms of what are, you know, what are the the experts going to do? I've been wrong every time. So I I keep hoping that that they'll come to reason and start governing with reason, but it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, we've got now an election just, what, 10 months away that they've got it. They want their mail-in ballots. And yeah, I don't, they might be trying to, to hold it all the way through the election. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, it's an interesting concept, and we're going to follow up because the other aspect I want to talk to you about is I made this point with Kevin Ro- Kevin Roche. And I you know, discussed this, and one of the interesting aspects is with this, and you know, with Operation Warp Speed, but people don't realize it wasn't just the vaccine that got produced, but we had antibodies that were being used. We had antivirals that are now close to being, re- or being you know, released, and we basically have what I call a toolbox. And what I want you to kind of comment is, is 2022. Do we start using everything in the toolbox, or are we going to still be in that position of restricting what gets used? In particular, the monoclonal antibodies. This is Tom Donaldson Piles Donaldson here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're going to return with that from with Jennifer after these messages.
3: Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Let's go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up?
4: Of course. I, I knew that.
3: Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary?
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
3: Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends?
4: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music?
3: Everyone knows that. Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Obvious. Oh, hey guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
2: This is Tom Donson. Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget, this segment is going to be brought to you by the, the uh, my new upcoming book, America at the Abyss. Uh, will America survive? Be available. It's going to be. It's published through Liberty Hill Press, which is associated with Medium Salem Media, and will be available on on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, and now we're going to go back to all right. I'm going to put this one. One of the big discussions that, you know, we're seeing is the role in monoclonal antibodies and some of these other agents, you know, and and certainly we can throw in the parasite drug as well. Uh, And maybe to me, the question will be is, you know, I just don't, right now I'm not seeing us you know, being encouraged of using the entire, what I call the toolbox because we know as you know, to me, the vaccine is, you know, It has its efficacy in the sense that you can restrict death, you can restrict hospitalization, but certainly it's not perfect. In many ways, it resembles the flu vaccine, maybe slightly more effective, and it does wane over time. So it kind of tells me we got all these other available therapeutics. And and as my understanding, and please correct me, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but it seems like this administration has been restricting the use of the antibodies. Uh, just as an example. We have, and, I and, just... and
3: when, 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 Biden, when Biden presented his plan earlier in the fall, he said he was going to make the monoclonal antibodies more available, and what he did was he took full control of them and then decided there was some some nonsense about distributing them in an equitable way, and um, a lot of states, even, even Texas, I think, now have Um, requirements that, you know, unless you're 65 and old, I mean, there's, there's all these people that are authorized for monoclonal antibodies and and there are various things, body weight and and age and all, but a lot of States add a line saying, you know, you can also get them if you're a person of color, for example. Right. And so if you don't qualify under anything else, but you're a person of color, you can get the monoclonal antibodies, but white people can't. Now that's, So that's insane. Right. But um, so that's the kind of thing the Biden administration did with it. And but then my understanding and people say studies, but I don't think there's studies. I think there's one study, basically a guy and I could have this wrong, but this is what has been presented to me. One guy who works for. Or is affiliated with a manufacturer of one of the monoclonal antibodies. Published a paper showing that in vitro, or in in a in a a cell thing, not not in the body, that the other brands didn't work on Omicron, and only his company's brand worked. And this is now they run with this and say to say that the other ones do not work for Delta. I mean, sorry, do not work for Omicron, and therefore Biden administration just cut it off we're not shipping these a lot of states said no you can't have them anymore and of course they don't know if people have delta or Omicron. we don't we don't sequence quick enough people most individuals have no idea which one they have and so you've got you basically cut off the supply and doctors who have a patient in front of them that they believe would be helped or could be helped by monoclonal antibodies there's no supply to give them and um, in Florida, we went from 25 centers, which of course, you know, those all closed down over the fall as the wave subsided. And there was very little traffic showing up to use them. But even, you know, now that it's gone crazy with Omicron, we have no availability here. Um, the governor's trying to open up centers, but even with what he's done, there's nothing within a hundred miles of my town um, to get monoclonal yeah. antibodies. And so, and now we have these two new pills. Now these pills are, are honestly very worrisome. They are, the The Merck one is mutagenic, meaning that it the way it stops the virus is it it encourages it to mutate or like it breaks you know certain bonds. And so this has the possible side effect of um, encouraging cancers. We just don't really know enough about it just because the way it works is by encouraging mutations. So it's a little bit worrisome. um the the second one, um, uses an HIV drug that, um, you know, honestly, we just haven't, like the vaccines, we really haven't done the in-depth safety studies that need to be done on these drugs. No. They're brand new. And um, instead, but they're being pushed, even a push in terms of, I don't think anybody even has them yet, but we're being told that they're they're coming. But, you know, instead we have safe drugs that ha- don't mm. have all of this, the You know RCT studies behind them because nobody's funding them because they're generic drugs and doctors who swear that they make a difference and they're all being shut down and their licenses are being threatened because they're trying to use drugs with known safety and probable um, efficacy, but they're not being allowed to use those and instead we're being pushed to drugs that aren't available, drugs that have unknown safety and it's all just it, it it's
2: incredibly frustrating. <laughs> well, you know, again, I, mean, I, I guess because I know, like, you know, when you look at some of these drugs some of these studies, I know the original studies in the United States with the HCL, the the, the malaria drug, I mean, they were using it on, you know, the, some of those original studies, they were using them on in stage patients in the hospital. I'm thinking, well, you know, at that point, you know, that's not going to work. Uh, well, you know, why would you? Uh, and of course, some of those studies ended up having to be, uh, you know, retracted. retracted. Cause there were some s- retracted, yeah. And and, and it, there's some interest. I mean, the, again, you know, I you're, you're absolutely right. I've worked 26 years in the pharmaceutical business, but somehow, or another when I look at this, I'm saying to myself, you know, I, you know, I, it, you know, there is there. You know, I, I hate to use the word conspiracy on all this. But I look at all of this as, as okay this is, these are first generation drugs and that means in effect that okay you know that means we ought to be working on developing newer drugs safer drugs so It's the same with the vaccine. I look at this as a first generation vaccine it has its efficacy but it also has side effects and it seems to be every day we seem to find a little bit more out of the side effect profile in particular with younger patients uh, where with the myocarditis.
3: And you know, right. and again, it's, 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 I mean, it's 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 unbelievable that right. that many countries have have said Moderna should not be used in males like under the age of 40. It's it's a pretty many European countries have already said this. I don't know why the U.S. has not gotten in line with this and yeah. said, hey, these vaccines do not seem to be as safe for young men. And in fact, we know Moderna seems to be. Have additional myocarditis effects, and maybe you should. What, what does it take to even have that kind of a warning?
2: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, here's the thing. Because it's the risk versus the benefit. And this is the thing I always. Like I say, I'm not an anti I've I've been vaccinated. I've had the booster. I'm 68 years old. Uh, so you know, I'm in that age group. You know, and I looked at risk. I looked at benefit. I said, okay, you know what? You know, the benefit outweighs the risk for me. But if I'm a Seventeen, you know, but if I had a grandson who was seventeen year olds and he's a star basketball player, I'm not sure I would be wanting that child, that grandchild, to be uh, vaccinated. And I, you know, and and I'm under a kind of an interesting case. There's an interesting case in tennis right now, where uh, Novak Djokovic, who's like one of the best players in the world, now first he was allowed to go to Australia because he had a quote unquote not been vaccinated. And now they're saying, no, oh, you can't come in this country. You haven't been vaccinated. Well, two things. Number one, he's an athlete at the top of his game. And he's already had COVID. So he's already got natural immunity. Why would such a person take the risk of getting vaccinated when he's already got the national immunity? And why aren't we, you know, is 2022 the year we'll finally just sit back and say, you know what? You know, national immunity be a condition where you don't necessarily need to be vaccinated your thoughts
3: well i actually reject that argument because we shouldn't be enforcing we shouldn't care who's immune and or which path they took to it there that nobody should be restricting anything based on immune status and that's that's the only reason i reject it obviously Um, people who have had COVID have a very strong natural immunity. Now, (laughs) what we're learning is that lots of people are getting Omicron that previously had another different version of COVID. It tends to be people that had it more than a year ago. Um, We don't really know what's going on with that, but everyone I've heard of has been extremely mild, and we know there are viruses that that you can get again, and your body recognizes them, and it fights it off, and you have a very mild reaction, and that's just how our immune systems work, and why why have we thrown away everything we know about biology? I don't know. There's the, really, you don't have to, you don't have to say it's a conspiracy theory when, when all the signs point to everything has been done, everything, everything, from the fear porn to the headlines to you know suppressing treatment everything has been done to get us to a point where everybody gets and that there's no alternative and that people willingly sign up for it because they're scared and then you know are are you going to go further that this is the that the the ultimate reason for this is to set up some sort of digital ID I don't know but but boy it gets you there doesn't it
2: yeah, it does. I mean, that's the thing. Because, again, here's the point I was trying to make. Is if I'm Djokovic, and I've already been exposed to the virus, which was June of last year, so it's less. he's less than a year out, I don't see the benefit of getting vaccinated for him.
3: No, it's all, it's all risk at that point. It's all risk. It's There's all no risk, benefit, so. yeah.
2: And, that's, and this is one of those educational things to me. If I'm Djokovic, I say, wait a minute, I got national immunity. You know, it may not be perfect, but it's certainly the evidence would suggest that it's is good or better than being vaccinated. Because we know that after six months, the vaccination wanes, just like the flu vaccine, by the way, wanes as well in the course of a flu season. I mean, this is not unknown science that we're dealing with here. And uh, and I find, you know. And this is what, you know, again, I'm trying to figure in 2022, do we finally come to our senses in these particular cases? Do we start looking at, let's say, giving doctors leeway for earlier treatments? You know, allow doctors to make that decision whether or not an antibody, you know, the monoclonal antibodies could use or don't get used. Position to look at the data and sit back and say, for example, you made the point that the data that, you know, was used to, you know, show that, and if I'm not mistaken, it was the Pfizer drug that was declared quote unquote not as effective. And and I and I can't remember if it was Merck uh was the competitor, but I know there's another one out there. Or Lily. Regeneron yes.
3: Regeneron is the big one that they tried to get, um that they yeah. tried to say wasn't working.
2: Okay. Yeah. All
3: right. I mean the point yeah, the the point
2: so obviously, you know, to me most doctors, you know, if you sit back and say, Well, you know, this study was done by this company, you know, <laughs> You know there are other you know there may be other data out there to demonstrate that this may actually work, or you still have this other monoclonal. The reality is you got two antibodies that I know of, and there's a third. Glasgow, in fact, the uh, you know you know your governor went out to negotiate it originally you know with Glasgow Smith Klein for their antibodies,
3: and then the federal so government took like, that away.
2: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and that's just uh which, uh, you know, it, again, it, we're not using, you know, the point I'm going to make it, we're not using all the tools in the toolbox. No. Uh, especially to me, if I'm... And, and they're, still know, if not, I'm a,
3: they're still not recommending simple things like vitamin D. I mean, have you heard one national quote-unquote expert tell you to up your intake of vitamin D that that's important?
2: Of course uh, not to my knowledge, unless maybe Peter McCullough or Robert Malone. Because I know right, colleagues those, right? <laughs> those are the fringe
3: experts, right? Those are the those are the guys that that support all of the early treatment, and yes, they'll tell you take you know, quercetin, zinc, C, D, take all these things yeah. and take them ongoing to 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 boost up your immune system. Somebody like Fauci, the the other you know, the TV experts, they never ever mention that. They never mention how you can protect yourself other than it's always vaccine, vaccine, vaccine.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, again, it, to me, when we be in 2022. Is this the year of common sense starts coming through? I don't know. If, you know, or do we basically continue to panic porn because you made the point? Well, we got mail-in ballots. So let's, that way, we can, you know, maybe do another shot at mail-in ballots for the election. Uh, because, as I say, I mean, there. I look at the. I, again, I'm just going to say. I mean, there's a part of me that understands why. They continued the planning point at the beginning of the Biden administration because they had a political, economic agenda that they could tie into the virus. Uh, in particular, Build Back Better. They could, you know, it was all like one big connected program. But at this point in the game, uh, you know, you know, the only other benefit is what you stated. You know, you know, maybe we can figure out a way to loosen up the election process again. Like we did in 2020 but i'm just like i said i'm just i'm flabbergasted at times but at times i i should quit being surprised
3: (laughs) yeah so so my biggest hope for for the the next few months at least is that more people you know in in the middle continue to wake up when you know when when the cdc says um, you know, if you're no longer fully vaccinated, like, you know, all of you people who are hanging on to your jobs and going to restaurants and whatever, because you were fully vaccinated, oh, guess what? You're not anymore. And for people to go, okay, I did what you said, and guess what? You're moving the goalposts, and I'm not doing it again. When, when you know, all the people who've had their kids in cloth masks for, for a year and a half, close to two years now, and, and suddenly the school system says, eh, you no, know, you need n 95 now, and those parents go, no. We're not doing that. We need my, my biggest hope is that enough people start saying no, we're not. We, we've done this this whole time. And you. I mean, my local county, all of their, their employees were forced to get vaccinated before, you know, at the very end, the, the law was changed and they said, oh, you can't fire this unvaccinated. But it's a tiny percentage. Now they all have to wear N95s all day at work. We need people to say, no, I did everything you asked me to do. And I'm not I'm done. I am done. That's what we need. Well, let me ask you a question,
2: real quick, because you know, the N95. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, as So, a I mean,
3: it's it, it, it's it's fairly effective. It's kind of the minimum baseline. If you follow um, Megan Mansell, Ma- Mama Sarah's Meg, it's the minimum baseline effective mask. But it has to be fitted. You should have a medical evaluation. It should be thrown away as soon as you take it off. Um, or, you know, sanitized. But basically, it's not to, you know, throw on your face, any old size, uh, anybody can wear it, throw it in your purse when you're done, throw it in your pocket, throw it in your, you know, hanging on your rear mirror. That is not, no, they stop being effective after four hours if that's what you do with it. It has to be fitted. You can't wear a beard. Um, you should have a medical evaluation before wearing them all day. There's, there, there are OSHA rules behind N95 masks. They are also not approved for children and not sized for oh. children. And so these are things that are just completely, big. OSHA has a whole page of rules on what employer responsibilities that they mandate, if, if they make their employees wear n 95 these are all being ignored. And people need to say, no, look at this. OSHA says this, I'm not doing it unless you have this written policy, unless you give me the medical evaluation, unless you replace it every four hours, whatever it is. Um, they, can be, they can be effective to the wearer not to
2: other people around them. So that's what I think about 95. All right. Okay. okay. Tom Donaldson, Donaldson, the Bastion New Radio Network. Uh, uh, Thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the show. And why don't you very briefly talk about how people can read Rational Ground and keep up with your work and Justin's and others.
3: So you can find Justin at covidreason.substack.com. You can find me at jhaskinscabrera on Twitter, um, where the website is rationalground.com, but I honestly don't know how much is being published there right now. <laughs> it's mostly coming out through Justin's Substack and, um, of course, all of our Twitters. And once you follow all of it, you'll, you'll see us all retweeting the others and follow all of us. It. It's great data.
2: Well, listen, well, thank you very much. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Yeah, this is Tom Donson, and we're coming on to the resistance hour. Well, when you hear that trumpet... It means the resistance hour here on the bachelor news radio network. We're going to do a special program for the past, uh,
7: But you know it's the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and uh, I'm Doc, uh, the co-hosts are uh, Dr. Larry Peterwa and uh, Tom Donaldson, and I'm uh, I'm Dr. Larry, and I'm one of your hosts <laughs> for, for the next hour. We've been uh, already uh, on the on the on the air here for an hour, and. Uh, we haven't really solved all the world's problems, but uh, we are uh, doggedly trying to do it. So we're uh, going to uh, go on uh, uh, with a, uh, a kind of a unscripted uh, critique, I guess, of uh, what's happening in the world today. And uh, Tom, uh, what's, uh, w- what are we going to be most interested in this, uh, in this hour?
2: Well, you know, I'm going to follow up on a question that I asked at the end of my show. And this is the thing that always, you know, it's kind of it's bothering me more than anything else. Namely, who's going to be held accountable for, these for this disaster? Someplace, somewhere, somebody's got to be, I mean, there used to be a time and place where you screwed up this badly. Uh, somebody felt the brunt of it. And it goes back to a point like, for example, uh, I'm going to pick on my favorite scientist, Tony Fauci, And for no other reason, is this guy has basically botched the coronavirus science to a point where half of America doesn't believe the guy for good reasons. He's a mediocre scientist who's been wrong on every major aspect of this virus. And he's not; he's still got his job. He's still doing his thing. And we've got some generals and some intelligence officers, and quite frankly, I've got to be asking myself, so why are they keeping their jobs? Yeah, but there was a time and place, like, when Harry, just when Harry S. Truman basically, you know, kind of told, uh, you know, uh, General MacArthur, you know, I'm the boss. I'm the commander in chief, and you will not disobey me, and you will not go around me, and you're going to pay that price. And, you know, say what you want to say. To Harry S. Truman is the buck truly stopped with him, and he was willing to make that move and do those things. And I, you know, and I like to know for the past several years. You know, you just look at this past year and a half, the number of screws who had either it's coronavirus. You know, by the scientific class and still going on, or let's say our incompetence on this whole deal you know, i I don't know I mean you tell me well, you know, I, head, think, I, think, head?
7: I think uh President Obama put it very succinctly, uh, elections have consequences, and the the yeah. only way in which you're going to have uh, people who do things uh that uh are not agreed to by, uh, by the opposition is, uh, uh, and have things done to them uh, in, in, in retribution is if uh, the opposition wins the election and fires them or does whatever they're, they're, they're trying to do uh, it doesn't always work for example it didn't work for Donald Trump because uh, there was a hate campaign that was very effective and uh, he was uh, on the defensive uh, much of the much of his uh, his term. But that that's the only way in which it's going to happen uh, in a in a democracy. And that's if, uh, if yeah. the opposition uh, uh, votes, he uh, gets yeah. the votes, and therefore gets the power. And then that's uh, how the, that's how it's supposed to work. It's uh, in, in a uh, administrative state like we have now, it gets very very difficult to implement because you get you have uh, administrative state trying to uh, as a third as a third force trying to uh, advance its own its own goals which which are not necessarily or even uh, figuratively uh, 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 accepted by by the political class frequently, uh, so it's it's the more 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 parties you get to uh, do in in power doing things, the harder it is to make uh, make them uh, make them uh, responsible responsible for for what they did. Now let's say you got you got a, a Republican. Uh, House, Senate, and Presidency in uh, 2024, I think you could see uh, a lot of retribution done. But it, it's going to... Well, you know,
2: that. I'm going to say... you know, I'm going to make a statement here because this is, you know, if there was ever a weakness in my view with Donald Trump in, in aspects is that he was not quick to fire people within the administrative class or the political class he should have fired. Uh... When it became self evident last May, for example, that that the advice he was getting from Tony Fossey and Debbie Burks and others was not very good. Uh, he he continued to allow them to be official spokespeople for the administration, even though he had to know he was figuring out what they're telling me was garbage. And that's what I think is you know, to me, it's not just getting elected 2024. Is that you're going to have to have an administration willing to start throwing people out the door. You know, you go to the Department of Justice and figure out, okay, anybody appointed by this administration, you sent them out the door. You go to the intelligence side of the committee or the military side. Because people can't remember, about 200 military generals were replaced by Barack Obama, he cleaned out people that he didn't want that wasn't going to follow his policies who were going to be in opposition to his policies. And, and certainly you did not see that in a good p- a portion of the Trump era and you better start seeing that in the next administration if we win all those who win everything back. Because I'm going to tell you if you don't, the same thing repeats itself. The bureaucracy keeps moving as if it doesn't have to uh, pretend elections matter, uh, and and that you know, that's my. You know, what do you think? You know, it's not just about winning elections. You got to start cleaning out house, because part of winning election is doing exactly that. Your well. thoughts.
7: It's it's more. First of all, it's more than a four-year job to uh, penetrate down deep enough in the in the uh, uh, bureaucracy to actually uh, convert the um, the uh, actors to uh, a different point of view. And uh, so, but it has to. It it obviously has to start with. uh, with the uh, with re- uh, changing the changing the, the, the leaders of the the captains of the various teams. Yeah. In, in the case of Trump, he he had no background in in government. He didn't know who was who was who, and and he didn't know who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. And it took him quite a while, as it would anybody, to find out that. Um, just because uh, the the uh, general that you made uh, the department, the uh, defense secretary had a had a cute, funny name, uh, it didn't mean that he was going to be a guy that would uh, follow what you wanted to have done. And the same thing with the secretary of state and so on. Uh, so he well, yeah. he started off with a, a kind of deficit of of prior knowledge. Yeah. And he didn't trust the well, yeah. for a long time.
2: Well, I agree with you. that, that And that's certainly in the beginning of the administration. You know, that is exactly what the case was. You know, he didn't have that experience of working in Washington, knowing who to trust. But the other aspect of it is that he also represented a totally different wing or total differences, let's say, in what the political class, including those on the Republican side. and. Yeah. And so that is it. But, I, you know, but it's important for people to understand. You've got that this has to be part of the package, that it's not just about collecting people. You've got to start cleaning out the bureaucracy. Yeah, you, know, you got to start cleaning out the bureaucracy, or else you're going to have an issue. Why don't we take a quick break here? Uh, here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor. I should not the Doctor. Kiss. All right. Uh, the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom.
4: A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? 1 in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? 1 in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? 1 in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
7: You're Welcome back to, to,
2: to the Resistance Hour. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go ahead.
7: You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And Tom, you were uh, you had the the floor. Yeah. Before the yeah, like well, I
2: say to me, yeah, I had to. I mean, like well, I say to me, the number one objective that we have to have uh, is got to be, like I say, we have to understand that to change the culture, you have to change the culture of the bureaucracy, and you have to start, and more, yeah, this is Tom and just to let you know, we are, uh, this is a repeat of a past, these are repeats of past shows, Uh, unfortunately, Dr. Larry has got a snowstorm that's happened, so we are going to apologize, weather related, but, yeah, this is where we're at. And again, thank you very much for listening to the doc, to the Resistance Hour, with Tom and Doctor Larry. And don't forget, you can buy an upcoming book. My upcoming book, um, um, yeah, m- my new book is going to be called America at the Abyss. And you. Uh, Will America Survive? And you can buy more of this. You can buy this particular book through Liberty Hill Press, Amazon.com, and Barnes & Noble. We'll give you more. Just stay tuned, and we'll have more details as we move forward. Thank you very much. This is Tom Donaldson here with the Donaldson file, with the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. In just a second here, ladies and gentlemen. We'll have more of past great shows here on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
7: know it's the resistance hour on the bachelor news radio network and uh i'm Doc, uh, the co-hosts are uh, dr larry Vitawa and uh tom Donaldson, and i'm uh, i'm dr larry and i'm one of your hosts <laughs> for, for the next hour we've been uh, already uh, on the on the air on the air here for an hour and uh we haven't really solved all the world's problems, but uh, we are uh, doggedly trying to do it. So we're uh, going to uh, go on uh, uh, with a, uh, a kind of a unscripted uh, critique, I guess, of uh, what's happening in the world today. And uh, Tom, uh, what's, uh, w- what are we going to be most interested in this uh, in this hour?
2: Well, you know, I'm going to follow up on a question that I asked at the end of my show. And this is the thing that always, you know, it's kind of it's bothering me more than anything else. Namely, who's going to be held accountable for these disaster, oh, for this disaster? Someplace, somewhere, somebody's got to be, I mean, there used to be a time and place where you screwed up this badly. Uh, somebody felt the brunt of it. And it goes back to a point like, for example, uh, I'm going to pick on my favorite scientist, Tony Fauci, And for no other reason, this guy has basically botched the coronavirus science oh. to a point where half of America doesn't believe the guy for good reasons. He's a mediocre scientist who's been wrong on every major aspect of this virus. And he's not, he's still got his job. He's still doing his thing. And we've got some generals and some intelligence officers, and quite frankly, I've got to be asking myself, so why are they keeping their jobs? Because there was a time and place like when Harry, just whenever Harry S. Truman basically, you know, kind of told, uh, you know, uh, General MacArthur. You know, I'm the boss. I'm the commander in chief. And you will not disobey me and you will not go around me and you're going to pay that price. You know, say what you want to say to Harry S. Truman is the buck truly stopped with him. And he was willing to make that move and do those things. And I, you know, and I like to know for the past several years, you know, you just look at this past year and a half the number of squirrels who had either it's coronavirus you know, by the scientific class and still going on, or let's say our incompetence on this whole deal. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you tell me. Well, I, head, think, I think, head?
7: I think uh, President Obama put it very succinctly, elections have consequences. And the, the yeah. only way in which you're going to have uh, people – who do things uh, that uh, are not agreed to by uh, by the opposition is uh, uh, and have things done to them uh, in, in in retribution is if uh, the opposition wins the election and fires them or does whatever they're they're, they're trying to do uh, it doesn't always work. For example, it didn't work for Donald Trump because. Uh, there was a hate campaign that was very effective, and uh, he was uh, on the defensive uh, much of the much of his uh, his term. But that that's the only way in which it's going to happen uh, in a in a democracy, and that's if that uh, if yeah. the opposition uh, uh, votes, uh, gets yeah. the votes, and therefore gets the power, and then that's uh, how that's how it's supposed to work. It's uh, in an in a administrative state like we have now. It gets very, very difficult to implement because you get you have uh, administrative state trying to uh, as a third as a third force trying to uh, advance its own its own goals, which which are not necessarily or even uh, figuratively. Uh, uh, by by the political class frequently. Uh, so it's, it's the more, more more parties you get to uh, do in, in power doing things, the harder it is to make uh, make them uh, make them uh, respons- responsible responsible for, for what they did. Now let's say you got you got a, a Republican, uh, House, Senate, and Presidency in uh, 2024, I think you could see uh, a lot of retribution done. But it's just going to well, you know, that.
2: I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to make a statement here because this is, you know, if there was ever a weakness in my view with Donald Trump in aspects is that he was not quick to fire people within oh, the administrative class, or the political class, he well, should apply. When it became self-evident okay. last yeah. day, for example, that not very well, okay. that the advice he yeah. was getting from Tony Fauci yeah, and no, maybe just, just, to just, others just, was not just, very good. Uh, uh, he continued to allow them to be official spokespeople for the administration, yeah. even though he had to know he was figuring out what they're telling me was garbage. And that's what I think is, you know, for me, it's not just getting elected 2024 is that you're going to have to have an administration willing to start throwing people out the door. You know, you go to the department of justice and figure out, okay, anybody appointed by this administration, you sent them out the door. You go to the intelligence side of the committee or the military side. Because people can't remember, about 200 military generals were replaced by Barack Obama. He cleaned out people that he didn't want, that wasn't going to follow his policies, who were going to be in opposition to his policies. And and certainly you did not see that in a good portion of the Trump era, and you better start seeing that. And the next administration, if we win all those who win everything back, because I'm going to tell you if you don't, the same thing repeats itself. the bureaucracy keeps moving as if it doesn't have to uh, pretend elections matter uh, and and that you know, that's my you know, what do you think you know, it's not just about winning elections you got start cleaning out house and part of winning election is doing exactly that.
7: Well, it's it's more. First of all, it's more than a four-year job to uh, penetrate down deep enough in the in the uh, uh, bureaucracy to actually uh, convert the um, the uh, actors to uh, a different point of view, and uh, so but. Yeah, it has to. It, it obviously has to start with um, with the uh, with re- uh, changing the, changing the, the the leaders of the, the captains of the various teams. Yeah. In, in the case of Trump, he he had no background in in government. Mm-hmm. He didn't know who was who was who, and, and he didn't know who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. And it took him quite a while, as it would anybody, to find out that, um, just because, uh, the, the, uh, general that you made, uh, the department, the, uh, defense secretary had a, had a cute, funny name, uh, it didn't mean that he was going to be a guy that would, uh, follow what you wanted to have done, and the same thing with the secretary of state and so on, um, uh, so he, but, yeah. he started off with a, a kind of deficit of, of prior knowledge, and he didn't trust the well, right I, people yeah. for a long time.
2: Well, I agree with you. that, that And sense, certainly in the beginning of the administration. You know, that is exactly what the case was. You know, he didn't have that experience of working in Washington, knowing who to trust. Under. But the other aspect of it is that he also represented a totally different wing or a totally in Let's say what the political class, including those on the Republican side. And and, and so that is it. But, I, but it's important for people to understand you've got that this has to be part of the package, that it's not just about electing people. You've got to start cleaning up the bureaucracy. Yeah, you got to start cleaning out the bureaucracy or else you're going to have an issue. Why don't we take a quick break here, uh, here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor. Actually, not the Dr. Kiss. All right. The Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom.
4: A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One, and 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? one in 88 I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray and my niece has autism learn more at autismspeaksorg slash signs early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference brought to you by autism speaks and the ad council
7: You're Welcome back to, to the
2: right. Resistance Hour. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go ahead.
7: You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And Tom, you were uh, you had this the floor. Yeah, the yeah. Like
2: well, I say to me, yeah, I had to. I mean, like well, I say to me, the number one objective that we have to
6: have
2: has uh, got to be like I say. We have to understand that to change the culture, you have to change the culture of the bureaucracy, and you have to start, and more importantly, you have to rein in its power, which brings me to the other aspect, is that Congress has perfectly been willing to allow itself to have the administrative state take control over much of their responsibility. Yep. Here's a couple of stats here. Uh, uh, for every law the Congress passed, there are ten regulations passed by the administrative state. They, in fact, are becoming the lawmakers as opposed to Congress. And and this is like Jonathan Turley brought this up. And he also added, for every time you go to court, ten times you're going to be prosecuted or you're going to be facing an administrative, uh, an administrative. From the administrative state. In other words, you're more likely to have to deal with an IRS, IRS type agent or an OSHA personality versus having to face your own jury of peers and a judge. And these are the things that are slowly eroding the very democracy that we have, where we are losing that control. And that's why I think, you know, for Republicans, this has got to be a part of any priority, or let's say you know, of reigning in the administrative state. Because if we don't do it, history keeps repeating itself.
7: Your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> I think I think Trump's uh, another another problem that Trump had was that you have to have you have to have your own party behind you. And because all of those people in the Senate and the uh, and the House have their own connections uh, with the uh, with the administration with the uh, bureaucracy, because they're the people that are on the committees and they br- bring in these various uh, rep- uh, people to uh, to testify and and that's how they and then they have uh, you know various. Uh, Constituent uh, uh, requests, and and they get to know who the people are that are on the uh, administrative side. Whereas, if if the the president president is one person, and he comes in, and if if he if he doesn't have uh, much of much understanding of who who he should have in his own team. And then he also doesn't have the leadership, and and half of the uh, the uh, members of the other of the uh, other branch of government, Senate and House, on his side, and telling him, giving him good advice, telling him who's who and what's what and how how it's good and what's bad, and who know, who knows this and who knows that. Uh, if he doesn't have all that institutional memory to uh, add it uh, available then he yes uh, he, has, he, he has to have it. You, you can't govern without it. And uh, his problem was he didn't have that and didn't even know he needed it until for example, he ran uh, in his, for his campaign he was running against Washington DC. He had to, he wanted to clean up clean the swamp. And the swamp was all these politicians, that these lifelong politicians, many of whom were in his own party, and who were scared to, de- scared to death of him. And uh, and he didn't realize that he needed those people until he got got elected and found out that he couldn't do much without them. And uh, and of course, many of them remained very. Uh, uh, hostile to him, some secretly and some openly. Uh, and Paul Ryan, for example, is a good example. Uh, Mitch, his, uh, Mitch, uh, Mitt Romney came back; and he, he, he uh, you know, was risen from the dead, and so on. Um, and, and a lot of a lot of that is just human, uh, the human factor and uh, so anyway that that
0: well that,
7: you're talking about retribution for for mistakes and for uh, for uh not sometimes not mistakes but devious uh behavior uh you firstly you have to identify it and and uh, that that's that's a big problem in itself, but it takes longer than four years i mean well, i would, fifteen years and he still didn't get it
2: all. Well, I mean you're absolutely right in the respect that it's gonna take more than four years or eight years. But if you can begin the path and you do so, you know, you know, you know, at the leadership side of the equation, or let's say those underneath the leadership side, you do, you know, personnel the whole thing. Personnel is policy. Personnel is policy. And Asked, you know, and, and the other aspect comes in play is that there's a point that you kind of made you know, the political establishment side is that, let's say, if you look at the, what I call the populist conservative side of the wing of the party, is, you know, there wasn't exactly a whole lot of experience, experience. People on, the let's say, the Trump side of the equation ready for government because basically it was an entirely new set of policies, policy that was relatively new, in particular on the foreign policy side where you had an entire uh, political generation raised on, let's say, the Cold War, and never realized, okay, that the situation has changed. A, a generation that you know, focused, you know, had Russia and the Soviet Empire not realizing that China had replaced Russia in that role. But I do think it is time for, let's say, those of us, you start thinking along those lines for the next time around, and I do see some beginning. I mean, you look at the Secretary of State Pompeo. You know, he, you know, he was an instrumental part of the foreign policy. You look at you know Richard Grinnell, who was the ambassador to I think to Germany before working as a, a term, you know, an intern. An intern, what's the correct word? He was not a he was appointed but never in some, yeah, yeah, and the intelligence side of the equation. But these are people, and, and, and what you need to start picking up that new generation of, okay, of leadership that comes, you know, from the grassroots. And maybe it goes back to the point that you and I have t- talked about, looking at the state. You look at a Ron DeSantis. I mean, look, right now, the Biden administration is doing everything they can to undercut Ron DeSantis. Because they fear, him. you know, they truly fear. Him. But I think you look at people like Rhonda Sanchez or Christy Nome or others, it's going to have to be done on a state basis. And we, do, and we do get a chance to see who's for real and who's not. Who's going to stand up and who's not?
6: Uh, who's going to simply
2: say, this is bad policy or bad science, and I'm not going to do it.
6: Well, I'm not going to encourage it And
2: those who retreat And we're getting a pretty good idea Along those lines exactly you know, Those who stand up And those who do not
7: um, Well you got 19 of the, of the senators That didn't stand up Well uh,
2: no, yeah. Well you know what We know who they are now And you know, and, you know I kind of think back I mean to me it comes down to it yeah. Well, the minority leader may not, like you say, in, in 2026, his time will be up. But it's also time to start thinking along the lines of, okay, of finding that replacement. It's the same thing in Utah. You know, in 2024. Uh, you know, there's nothing that says that Mitt Romney is irreplaceable. Is he is. Uh, in Alaska, you've got Lisa Moraski who's up for re-election in 2022. And and you do have an opponent to her. You look at let's say Lynn Cheney Uh, in Wisconsin. I mean in Wyoming. You have to start looking in that direction. Yeah, you know, but you're absolutely correct. We got names of people who when the chips were down failed to perform. But that's you know, it but but it begins on a party level. Your thoughts
7: well you you got you have to you know a lot of the more of this you know going in the better off you are in terms of trying to uh, get your policies not only first of all you have to get many of them through congress you know not all of them but you know executive orders have become much more common now than they used to be but Nevertheless, uh, you, 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 the first problem for many things like budgets uh, is you have to get it through Congress. But then, once it gets through Congress, you also have to get it implemented in such a way as not to uh, lose the the very uh, purpose of the legislation that, that you were fighting for. Uh, and it frequently gets... Uh, gets uh, regulated out of out of primacy. You know the bureaucracy gets a hold of it, and they change all the they, they change they in, invent the rules and and such. And finally, you, all of a sudden, you find that what you got through Congress doesn't seem to be reflected accurately in the in the thrust of the uh, regulatory side. So. You know, you've got to, you, got, you, you have to have somebody that knows how to, how to spot that, and how to stop it, and how to, how to redirect it, and again, that, that means somebody that's been around Washington for a long time, because it's the only way you get this, this kind of uh, insight, it's, it's if you see, um, if, you, if you see things happen uh, over a period of time, and you see certain patterns, and, and since the bureaucracy is so huge and, and the government itself is so huge, it's very hard to get, uh, you, you almost have to get insiders in that particular cabinet area or uh, or other department. Um, so, and then, and, and then when you get somebody that comes in from the outside and challenges the whole darn uh, a structure and get i mean uh, the bureaucracy turns in a in a New York minute they turn away from away from that uh, that uh, candidate that just won like they did with trump and in fact they uh, they they turned against him and and they started to undercut him and and it took him a long time to figure that out. In the meantime, we've got to take a break. You're listening to The Resistance Hour uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
3: Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Let's
7: go, guys!
3: Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up?
4: Of course. I, I knew that.
3: Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books, have a bigger vocabulary?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm.
3: Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends?
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music?
3: Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council
7: News Radio Network, and now Tom is going to tell us
6: a little bit more
7: about uh, how to listen to uh, the various uh, programs on, uh, on the uh, internet.
2: Yeah, you can listen to this show and other great shows on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Here's what you do: you go to the Bachelor News. Dot Airtime. Dot Pro. Uh, the Resistance Hour is one. 1- and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every day. Plus, you can listen to us on StreamYard, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and iTuneIn.com. So, you got plenty of opportunity, and don't forget you can listen to the Donaldson Files every day at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That means uh, if you're living on California, it's 8 a.m., and one p.m. So that's how you do it, folks.
7: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: um,
7: I guess we're talking about the uh, administrative state as, as compared to uh, an, I, uh, an ideal of uh, justice and uh, and and democracy. And it's it's a very it's a very uh, uh, complicated picture, and it's it's almost to the point where the punishment is the lack of power. There is a, if, if the other if the other
6: uh, party that's in opposition
7: gets elected, then your your power is going to be uh, diminished and. That's probably about as much as we can hope for. There's very few uh, bureaucrats get put into jail for uh, for, for doing things that uh, probably are pretty dishonest, if not uh, criminal. And uh, mm-hmm. but for some of them, uh, that's that's a real that, that is a real punishment. But that's probably well, yeah. Not the main thing we ought to be thinking about when we when we uh, yeah, know, when, when we're thinking about who to vote for is probably not one of our major concerns. Do you think? Well, it's
2: not. You know, you're it's never one of our major concerns. But it's time to start thinking in terms of if you're going to talk about draining the swamp, you've got to uh, drain the swamp. You got to start thinking in those terms because. Uh, you know, as we found out with this you know, past administration, the Trump administration, if you don't drain them, they'll drain you. You, know, you look at the intelligence, you look at the FBI, and the Russian collusion hoax is a good classic example. Where, quite frankly, you know, again, nobody's yet to pay a price. Nobody's gone to jail. But those very people responsible for that, well, one of them is now now the president. You know. He was, you know, Joe Biden was the vice president during, you know, when this all began, and it's not like they didn't have a clue or an idea what was going down. They did, uh, and so when you have, you, you see that consistently, you know, you know this was, you know, and that's the reason why I say, you know, these are issues that have to come in play because if you have a situation where you can't trust the administrative state.
6: Uh,
2: so you can't trust your government to enforce the laws equally, what do you have left? A lack of trust. And we are seeing this. And once that bond of trust between the people and the government, it's something that can't be recaptured. And we see this with the coronavirus. I think a good portion of our problems dealing with the coronavirus is that, quite frankly, you know, we have people who did been on record of being wrong, and they're still in power. They're still available. You know, I had years ago, I put this one, when this thing began, you know, it was, you know, Professor Riley uh, made this observation. He said, you know, when you're in the academic setting or you're in the government setting, if you screw up badly, you don't get penalized. I mean, we literally had models that were off by a factor of five to ten times. Anywhere between 300 to 1,000 percent. Why? That's not even good for government. And yet many of those yeah. very same people still have their jobs. And in the process, we engineer policies that just quite frankly are going to end up killing more people,
6: destroying more jobs, destroying
2: lives in communities than the virus ever would have done. And and it's time for those people to start paying the price their mistakes that have cost lives and have basically disrupted lives and disrupted communities. Yeah, I mean I don't know how to make that in you know, and I guess maybe I should try to figure out a way how to make that into a thirty second commercial. <laughs> but we are seeing it every day. Your thoughts.
7: Well, we're we're uh, on the way to a real showdown, I think, in, in uh, 2022, uh, beginning with, uh, with uh, among others, uh, Virginia, and,
6: um, and I think that the, the key to this
7: whole this whole puzzle is really whether we're able to uh, maintain uh, our uh, integrity of our of our elections. Uh, it's yeah. it's being roundly assaulted, and if the uh, if the uh, Democrats uh, succeed in
6: uh, federalizing
7: the uh, the rules and the implementation of uh, federal elections. Uh, we probably will never see another uh, another Republican Congress
6: uh, in either house. So, um, but
7: nevertheless, if and if they don't succeed, uh, I think we're going to see a major turnover, uh, starting p- perhaps with uh, with Virginia. There's a couple of other states too that are that are doing. Um, you, I, I don't know which ones they are. You probably do. Well,
2: I know New Jersey's got an election this year, uh, but that's New Jersey and New Jersey. And let me yeah, let me look that up real quick. Why? Uh, but uh, yeah, that's a good point. I, I know that. you're saying. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question right now. Because we had this conversation in the past, but I want to. Uh, what do you think? Do you think? That the rep, you know, the Republican candidate got a chance, uh, to win. in or
7: Virginia. In Virginia. Virginia. Well, there's, you know, what's your...
2: Let's follow up on that point. You know, because we had a show with one of those school board members uh, here, and I thought it was a fascinating conversation. Because we should save up front before we talk what he stated on our show, because he's a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He he's a Democrat, and he made some very interesting observations. He said, "Look, I've looked at the science," and he said, and, and I looked at the data." And he basically said, look, number one, keeping the kids out of school was a disaster, basically, because he had the test scores were showing the disaster side, including in particular among minorities within his school district. He also stated that there was no evidence to suggest that there was any significant issues health-wise bringing those kids into the classroom. And he even went as far as saying, you know, the mass were an absurdity wearing mass mandates for school children it was an absurdity the science didn't back it up but he also acknowledged it's the only way i could get these people my fellow school board members to agree with me to get the kids back in the classroom uh is by voting for the mass mandate even though i knew scientifically it was crap now he didn't use the word crap but I'm paraphrasing him because he's a very nice, polite gentleman.
7: Uh, yeah, I but talked, I talked. I talked to him today, by the way, and, and he said the same thing. Yeah,
2: and he said this on the air, by the way. I mean, he said, yeah, he said this on the air. So I mean, I mean, you can go back, the show two weeks ago, and he was on the air saying exactly what you know, we, you know we're doing. But it comes back down to the point where. We're not even following the. We're you know we're not even making even pretense to follow the science on any of this. You know I you know and, and I have to be honest with you. There are times and places where I I try to swallow my tongue when I'm out in public because I know people are scared to death of this virus. They've been scared to death for 18 months. They've been told this is the bubonic plague. They treat it as such. You know and. And it's a virus that kills two to four per a thousand, yeah we're talking about maybe a virus that you know, on the average you know kill maybe two th- per a thousand more than the average flu season. pandemics very close to this and and yet I mean and we have people you know scientifically speaking, again, you're you know, you know the gentleman we had on the show, Latif. uh Dr. Lateef was the gentleman that we're talking about. He's your ophthalmologist, correct?
7: That's true, yes.
2: Yeah. I had
7: had an operation yesterday.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, and my point will be is that, you know, my point is we're at a point where you have smart people who know this is BS. But they're reined in either by the fear of the people around them and the fear that this government put into this whole aspect. Uh, in fact, you know, after the next break, there's, I, I'm going to share something that, that is, you know, you know, from Twitter, from a good friend of mine, and I'm going to, it kind of talks about where we're at with all of this. Uh, but, uh, uh but you guess you know, but I'm at a point where some, Yeah, but I'll go back to the point where sometimes I stand. It's like the other day there was a lady. You know, I was listening to conversation, and she says, you know, she was a teacher. She said, well, they make people get shots for polio. They should make them get shots for COVID. And I almost felt like saying, COVID is not polio. One was a disease that literally would cripple you. This is a virus that 99% plus people survive with no problems. But that's where we're at.
7: Well, hold that thought. uh, You're listening to the uh, Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
5: You might know me on 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few and a six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger is too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.
7: Radio
6: so, Tom,
2: Thank you for listening to this Encore presentation. Thank you very much. This is Tom Donaldson saying good night for the resistance hour with Doctor Larry and Tom.